New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. Hello, I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Dr. Connie Zweig, psychotherapist and author of The Inner Work of Age, Shifting from Role to Soul. I'm speaking with Connie at her home by remote connection. Connie, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. It's so great to see you, Justine. Thank you so much. It's great to see you as well. And as someone who has for many, many years studied aging and what it means to become an elder, what can you say that would help relieve our angst about joining the AARP population? Well, I like to make a distinction between senior and elder. So everyone becomes a senior when they have a Medicare birthday, but not everyone becomes an elder. And what do I mean by that? We have no rite of passage in our culture to really cultivate the wisdom that's required to be an elder, to really distill the lessons of our lifetime and find ways to transmit them to other generations. Um, So I wrote in the book because the term wise elder is such a common cliche, we think we know what it means. And so I made a little list of what it doesn't mean. So some of these traits may apply to seniors who have not done their emotional homework and who are really struggling with the aging process. But An elder doesn't reject the face in the mirror, denying aging by trying to look young. We intuitively know that. We intuitively know if we're denying aging, we can't really stand in the nobility of this archetype without self-respect. An elder does not avoid facing fear, suffering, and loss by numbing out. We intuitively know that people who are numbing out using drugs, using devices, using television, that's not a wise elder, right? An elder doesn't resist change or impermanence. Every time something happens that changes in our bodies or in our relationships or in our environment, I mean, I drive through my town and all the businesses I loved are closed. So what is my response to that? Things change. This is the nature of life in the physical world. And so if we deny that, are we elders? That's like letting go of the need to control. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly. And so if we can't let go of that need and our ego is still trying to manage and manipulate everything, we haven't really stepped into, or we could say we haven't stepped across the threshold to this new stage of life. 
And actually, in that stage where we're talking about change and impermanence, it can be embraced with a kind of enthusiasm or at least wonder and awe. Or curiosity, openness. Because if we become rigid about how things were, nostalgic about the past, are we really an elder? I mean, can you see the wisdom in that? I I don't see that. And so I think this openness to change and impermanence and letting go of the past and how things were is really important. I find myself having to adapt all the time, adapt to the new music, adapt to the new technology, adapt to the new clothing, adapt to the new politics, really a tough one, right? Exactly. But that's the task of becoming an elder. And when we do that, we feel more personal energy. Yes. I can feel it as you're speaking about it, as we embrace it with curiosity, uh, as you said, it feels energized somehow that we're more alive than, I mean, we're not living in the past or even being afraid about the future. We're just like right here noticing saying, well, isn't that interesting? Or, oh, I wonder how that's going to turn out. And partly we have more energy because we're not stuffing our energy into the unconscious shadow. So when we're in denial and fear and shame, all of that energy is getting buried in the shadow. And if we actually allow it, if we allow, if we're present, if we're curious, there is more vitality. There is more capacity to be present. What about the need to be right? There's a rigidity about that. How do we open ourselves up Even though we have an opinion or a preference, how do we open up to a more gentle way of being? You know, in the book, I explore emotional repair to become an elder. For me, I would say 30 years ago when I met my husband, I really needed to be right. My ego was kind of formed around it, around being smart and being right. And after a few years, I could see that that was not going to work in my marriage. It was not going to work for both of us to be right all the time. And I began to kind of work with that and release it little by little by little and be able to listen to him more deeply, disagree if I needed to, but not cling to being right or identify with being right. And over a number of years, I felt so liberated by that work. And again, you know, my work is shadow work. So I'm working with the unconscious. Why did I need to be right unconsciously? How did I learn that in my childhood? How did it serve me earlier in my life? And how was it sabotaging me in a relationship with the man I adored? Was love more important than being right? That became my question. That's so great. It's a wonderful example. You know, one of the things that's really extant in our culture is perfectionism. 
even in politics, let's say that if something is partially addressing a situation and then we feel like, oh, but it's not the perfect solution. And then we get all angry about it or we just quit or we just turn away from it saying, oh, it's impossible. What would you say about that need for everything to be perfect before we engage with it? You know, we're all different. There are a lot of individual differences in our psychologies. And perfectionism, I saw in my clinical work, is quite common in our culture. For most people, it's in themselves. It's about they're not good enough. They're not doing it well enough. They're not beautiful enough. They're not smart enough. And perfectionism can be a harsh teacher. You know, I call it a shadow character, the perfectionist. It can be a harsh teacher. So when we project it out into the political situation, you know, that legislation is not perfect enough, so we're not going to get anything done. We're really projecting something inside out onto the culture or the politicians. And it's very tricky stuff. It's very tricky stuff to engage in the larger world without being aware of our own internal issues, our own shadows and our own psychological wounds. And so I'm a big advocate for doing our inner work in order to engage social issues and social justice work. One of the things that I say to myself, Connie, when I butt up against that, oh my gosh, it's not enough. I just try and relax my body and say, well, Things have turned out very well when we don't even know what's coming our way. For example, the Berlin Wall. I mean, who would have thought, you know, a year before the Berlin Wall came down, who would have thought about that ahead of time? It just wasn't apparent in our consciousness, and yet it happened. And so what I do when I start to feel myself just tensing up with the stress of the challenges of modern life right now on the planet, I just breathe into it and I just let it go and say, wow, I don't know what the future is going to bring. And I'm just going to participate as best I can to make it a positive one. And that's all I can do. Yeah, I think this again comes back to your issue of what can we control? What can we influence? And part of what we can control is our own reactivity to circumstances. And part of what we cannot control is so much outer circumstantial stuff. I write about elder activism in the book because I do feel that the resources and talents and gifts of our generation actually could contribute to all of these problems, to the climate crisis, you know, to the social justice problems. So I don't want to suggest that everything is just psychological. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that our inner work can fuel our outer work. It can really assist it. It can enlarge our compassion so that we come out into the world 
differently than we did in the 60s and 70s when we were angry and it was all about reactivity, right? It was all unconscious, it was all protest. And this time we can engage as elders with the wisdom of a lifetime, knowing we can have impact and we can't control it. You know, we can maybe have a voice and we don't have the final voice. And acknowledging our limitations, but also acknowledging our contributions. I love that. It's like both and we can't control it, but we can do something. We can work yes. with what's close to us, what we're called to do. And it's important that we do it, but that we not be depressed if the outcome isn't immediate. Yes, that's right. And that we have our spiritual practices to regenerate. I was in Berkeley in the late 60s. I didn't have a way to regenerate from all my political activism. And, you know, now I've been meditating for 50 years. And that practice is so essential for me. I don't know how people survive without it. So I close my eyes and I just sink into that silent vastness. And it's rejuvenating at the end of my day. I do it at sunset every day and it's rejuvenating. And so I have a lot of meditation practices in the book that people can pick up now and find one that really fits who you are now. I love that. And your book is so well organized in that way. And I would love for you as we go out to mention that there are some people who are joining circles and studying the book together. Yeah, there are wisdom circles forming all over the country. They're on Zoom of people who want to read the book in community and age together and explore the ideas, but also the practices. There are many practices in the book. So people are becoming intimate, finding friends, going through this process together and really enjoying it. And if you want to do that, you can email me, ConnieZweig at gmail.com, and put Wisdom Circle in the subject line. That's wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. I want to thank you, Connie, for being with us and being part of the New Dimensions Cafe today. All back to you. I'm so grateful to you. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Connie Zweig. She's a psychotherapist and author of The Inner Work of Age shifting from role to soul. And as she said, to find out more about her work in the wisdom circles, you can go to her website, ConnieZweig.com. She spells her last name Z-W-E-I-G, ConnieZweig.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I want to thank you for joining us at the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you Please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org.
New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.